Well, we are uh, just wanting to take a brief look this morning at uh, some vision for this year. Uh, now, if I'm being completely honest with you, sometimes I find that always a little bit of a challenge because uh, the, the bottom line is that the vision actually hasn't changed. Um, and so we're trying to find a fresh way to say more or less the same thing. Obviously, there are some, strat- you know, some strategy changes and, and uh, some of the measurables change and, and what we're wanting to achieve in different areas. That, that crystallizes and changes from year to year. But the vision that we believe that God uh, has called us to in 2020 um, is not very different to what I believe God's called us to in 2021 or what he called us to in 2019. It's just that I think the longer we go along the journey, the more clear it becomes. And I'm hoping that you can catch something today because I, I really do feel quite excited and not just because of the beginning of the year. I know, I know many of us start the year with hope as though hope is a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. I mean, hope is good. Hope is important. It's biblical. But, but, but if hope doesn't, doesn't transfer into habits and into action, um, we can land up feeling very discouraged and frustrated by the third week of January, which is not that far away. Um, so, so I really am hoping that you can catch something that I believe that, that, that God is wanting to challenge us with and stretch us with. And so before we go any further, can I get you to stand with me, please? I'd love to, to include you uh, in a prayer. And so, and so if you're comfortable doing this, I want you just where you're standing um, to actually open your hands in a moment, not yet, but as a sign of surrender. And so I want to also encourage, even if you're here this morning, maybe you've been dragged or you thought you were going out for brunch and someone surprised you and actually it was church and maybe they've given you lunch afterwards. I don't know. So maybe you don't know why you're here um, and you're not sure what you believe. I want to sincerely say that you are so welcome and we want you to be able to come and explore and have your questions. And so what I want to encourage you to do is you don't have to believe. You don't have to be sure. Um, but I would, I would challenge you to be bold. And where maybe you say, God, if you are real, please, would you reveal yourself? If, you are, if, if what they say about you is true, then would you, would you reveal whatever you're willing to reveal right now? And you might be surprised. I can't tell you what that might look like, how that might happen. It could be just a thought that, that kind of crystallizes. It could be an impression. You could be encouraged in some way. And that could just be a part of a journey because it's always a journey, so there's the next step. So, so I really do believe that everyone can participate. So if you're willing, why don't you just open your hands up very much as a sign of surrender. Father, I want to thank you so much that, that 2020 has not caught you off God. Uh, you're not surprised by anything. Uh, you have a very deliberate plan for the world, for our country, our continent, our community, for our church, and even for us as individuals. And Lord, I believe it's a privilege that we get to enjoy a relationship with you, that we get to serve you, that we get to partner with you and your purposes and what you're wanting to do in the world. And so I do pray that you would please give us ears to uh, hear, give us eyes to see, give us minds to understand, and, and hearts that are open and willing to respond to whatever it is that you have for us individually and collectively as we go forward. God, for people that are, are here this morning that are not sure about you or what a relationship with you might look like, God, I pray that you would surprise them uh, with a sense of your presence and a sense of your kindness. Uh, Lord, that you would debunk any myths and that you would reveal your, your sheer grace and goodness and the invitation that you extend to us to enjoy a life-changing, life-saving, life-transforming relationship with you, please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. You can go ahead and grab your seats if you're wanting to follow with me. Uh, we do, as, at least as far as I know, have some of the notes from today on version. Uh, we do? Okay. So if we don't get to everything, come back tomorrow night because there's definitely going to be some stuff that I didn't get to in the first service that I'll be sharing tomorrow as we, as we kick off with our five days of focus. And again, if you enjoyed worship today at all, come back tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to have an incredible week as we just create some space for God. But before I kind of share the, the, the key word that I feel uh, impressed, you know, on my, on my mind and on my heart for this year as far as, as, far as kind of vision and, and emphasis goes, um, I want to introduce it by sharing uh, or reading a passage of scripture that for those of you that have been around church or the Bible for a long time, you might be very familiar with it. And the danger with familiarity is that we can actually just skim over the surface. And, and it's, it actually becomes harder. I think that the more familiar we are with Scripture, the harder it is for us to actually sometimes notice things and pay attention and allow it to, to fall on, on fresh soil, as it were. So, so my hope and prayer, please, Lord Jesus, is help us to actually grasp this with with a fresh heart. So very well-known passage. Jesus is literally about to be arrested, um, falsely accused, mock trial, and murdered before, you know, raising, rising, raising, raising back from the dead, rising. You see? <laughs> Led me wrong, babe. Um, and, so, and so I do think that we need to recognize that that if Jesus literally had moments, I mean, this could have, he could have had an hour or two to go, I don't know, but these are some of the last recorded words from Jesus with his disciples on his way to being arrested. I think that that has to give some weight, some, some emphasis to what he is sharing, considering what he's about to experience. And I believe that he was setting his followers up for their future. He was setting them up for them surviving without him physically present with them constantly. And, and by the way, it worked out. Newsflash. Like 2,000 years later, people are still choosing to follow Jesus and, and are still enjoying that relationship with him. But I believe that the key is found in this passage. So John 15 uh, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm the source of life. So I'm the, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. So he's the one that comes and cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Okay, so we see an emphasis on fruit here. We also see an emphasis on staying connected, like planted, not, not close, but actually connected so that this life source is flowing back and forward. And I do want to just encourage you for a moment that, that pruning is often painful, but pruning is a part of the process. Like it's actually promised. It's a whole bunch of peas right there. Okay. Jesus didn't promise that you'd have a, a, a problem-free life, a trouble-free life. He actually said that in John 16, that that in this life you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And so he's actually saying, hey, by the way, if you are being fruitful, then expect some cutting, some nip and tucking. Some of us would appreciate that at the beginning of the year, after Christmas and all the rest. He's saying, no, no, listen, don't, don't be discouraged if, if there's some cutting that takes place. I'm saying that because I think that people often get the wrong message about Christianity, as though come to God and everything will be sorted out. Actually, come to God and there's going to be pruning. 
and there's going to be there's going to be some cutting. But the reason for that, so it's it's not the cut of an attacker, it's the cut of a surgeon. The 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 purpose behind that is to actually help us produce more fruit. This isn't a trick question, all right? He wants to help us produce fruit. That's the word, fruit. That's the one I want. Let's try that again. He wants to produce more fruit. The reason I want to emphasize this is because if we're not careful, we can make Christianity about us. We can become the center of our little universe. And, and instead of being Jesus, we make him into a genie. And we want to rub the Bible a few times or pray the right prayer a few times and then get whatever we want. And we want him to bless our purposes. We're actually saying, guys, it's so counterintuitive because it's actually as you lay your life down, it's actually as you will submit to my agenda that actually you're going to find life that you never even knew was possible. But it does take trust, it does take surrendering, and it's allowing him to prune us so that we can be fruitful. In verse 5, he goes on and says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much Thank you, Jared. He goes on, verse 7 and 8. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask me for anything you want, and it'll be granted. Now, just to clarify, again, he's not turning into a genie. He's saying, if we remain in him. So if, we, if he is our priority, it's the same as uh, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because, in other words, he'll give you what you want, because what you want is the one that he gave you. So, so, if you, so if you're praying... If you're, if you're remaining in Jesus, if you're, imagine being so close to Jesus that he doesn't give you anything you ask because what you ask is what he wants to give you in the first place. I think that's a pretty cool life. That, that, and by the way, that's how you know that you are actually walking close with Jesus when what you want is actually what he wants. As opposed to constantly, maybe without even, and I, and I do think it's often without us realizing it. It's unintentional, but, but it's, it's, it shocks me how, how the gravitational pull is towards self-centered prayers. Now, there is a level of that that's okay. There is self-care. That's a, we're, not, we're not anti that. But I'm saying it can't. When it's only that, that's when it's self-centered. When it's only that, that's when I'm living. I'm not, I'm not living to please an audience of one. I'm living to satisfy a, a person of one. Like, it's just about me. So he's saying, no, no. If, you will, if we will remain in him and he in us, we'll be able to ask for anything we want and it'll be granted. Last verse, verse eight. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I can't, I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm even just thinking about this. This verse, 8, has been, has been like marinating in my mind. Sorry, my ear's just itchy, not in my ear. In my mind and in my heart for a while. I think, I think if we can live with that priority, God, I want to bring you great glory. I just think everything else falls into place. And he's telling us that to bring him great glory, the, the, what's going to achieve that is if I am fruitful. If I am a true disciple. It's amazing how in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. 
But the word disciple is used 497 times. And it's amazing how, without, again, without us even realizing it, it's so easy, it's so tempting for us to, to drift towards Christianity as though it's a, a, a worldview only or, or, or it's something that we believe. Well, the demons believe, the Bible tells us, and Satan believes. That's not, that's not actually what, what defines a Christian. A Christian is a follower, a disciple. Imagine, imagine if people could never describe you, because words keep changing, right? So many of you have lived long enough to know that what, that what a word meant 20 years ago, it doesn't mean anymore, right? I've discovered that vibing means something very different to what it used to mean. Anyway, that's another, and the whole, there's a whole list of stuff. Anyway, um, grass used to mean something else as well. Anyway, um, so Christian, I'm getting distracted. So Christian, I actually don't think that Christian means what it used to mean. So nowadays, if someone, if, if you define yourself as a Christian or someone were to describe you as a Christian, that could mean any number. That could mean that you're a bigot. That could mean that you are homophobe. That could mean that you are um, like overly conservative. So, so, so what people might conjure up in their mind when they hear that term could, could be any number of different things. Imagine if people could no longer call you a Christian, if you are a Christian, if they, if they, if they could only describe you as a follower of Jesus. Then the question is, would they? So is there anything about my life that would, that would distinguish me from everybody? From, so so is there, am I putting my faith in anything differently to someone who is not following Jesus? Do I treat people differently in any way to the way that people who don't follow Jesus treat people? Do I, do I cut corners exactly the same? Do I, do I blur ethical lines exactly the same? Am I just as greedy? Am I just as selfishly ambitious? There's healthy ambition, but then there's selfish ambition. Is there any difference in the way that I do work or in, the way, or in, in my diligence at school, in my, in my grace and mercy relationally, or in my firmness, in my ability to tell the truth in love? Is there anything about me that is different? Is there any fruit in my life that sets me apart where someone would say, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what he calls it, but, he, but he's, he's like walking to a different beat. He, is, he, he, I, he says it's Jesus. I don't, he's following something. It's definitely not a natural, westernized worldview. There's something different about that person. I think that's what it is to be a true disciple. I think that's what it is to actually be able to, I, th- I think that's what it is to be attractive. I think that's what it is to actually let your light shine, which is what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 5. That's, so, so letting our light shine isn't about what we declare. Although there's nothing wrong with that, excepting that there is, if that's all it is. But for us to actually bear fruit, then we will be true disciples, and this will bring great glory to our Father. I believe that this is God's vision for 2020. I think that God wants us to be fruitful. And the reason that I'm pushing this so hard is because, is because sometimes, sometimes, we, sometimes we, we, we overcorrect in one area and then we need to overcorrect again and then we need to, and, and, and there's constantly this tension that exists. 
So, so interestingly, I feel like, I feel like we've come from years of very activistic Christianity where, I mean, I'm just being very blunt with you. There, there are times where people can get so involved in church and in Christian living that they actually avoid their relationship with God. And it's not actually life-giving, and they can feel more like a pawn on a chessboard than a son or a daughter. And so we've placed a lot of emphasis the last two years, give or take. On, on your first a son or a daughter, your first loved, who you are matters to God before what you can do. But, but if we're not careful, then if, if that's all we feed, then we can almost again create a self-centered version of Christianity. Now, now it's true, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that God loves us before we can do anything. So before you can perform, before you can produce, that's the truth. But the whole truth is that God also loves the world. God also loves the people you don't like. God also loves the people that are not yet in a relationship with Him. God also likes the people that are in a different place in their journey to you. And even though you might get cheesed off that they're not all as strong as you or as mature as you, He says, suck it up, princess. You need to actually love everybody wherever they are in their discipleship journey. And so it's not just about us. God also loves other people. And if we don't recognize that, then then that we can overemphasize one thing and actually land up, we can land up becoming quite self-centered where we actually make ourselves the object of our worship. He wants us to be fruitful, to be the real deal. And so for me, the, the key word that I can't shake for 2020 is the word formation. Formation. I know formation is not a word that we use a great deal, but we do speak of being formed. The Bible talks about how we are being formed into the image of Christ. The, if you, if you, some of you know that the word metamorphosis is, is the word that we actually get the word transformation from. So when you're being transformed, it's like a caterpillar that is being transformed into eventually becoming a butterfly, right? And, and that formation or transformation, that formation actually speaks of identity. So it speaks of not just what you need to get done, but who you become. And I'm saying, and again, this is where we need to be careful. God doesn't only want to see you tick boxes with what do you get done. He's like, no, no, I'm actually trying to form you into someone. I'm trying to form you into something. So if you take a look at these images, I mean, it's, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, if you read up, I don't have time to explain it, but if you read up, it's crazy what a caterpillar, I mean, this is looks simple, like blink, 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 bum. It's not like that. It's a process. And, and, and if I understand correctly, a caterpillar almost has to lose itself completely. And then, and, then, and then some remnant actually starts developing into what will be the butterfly. So it speaks of identity, but it also speaks of process. And I think too often we give up on the process and then we give up on God. So we think God's letting us down because there's process, but he promised us process right from the start. And so, and so we want to encourage people in 2020 to persevere with the process of formation. Because whether you realize it or not, you have been formed and you are being formed. We are formed by whatever we give our attention and our affection to. I think it's Nietzsche who said that you are what you think. Um, other philosophers since then have argued that actually you're not just what you think, you, you are what you love. So whatever we give our affection to, but definitely whatever we give our attention to as well. That's why... So many people are arguing that we're in an attention economy, not just an attention deficit, but I mean, we're, we're in an attention economy where the more 
that we are distracted by frivolous nonsense, the more we are being formed by that frivolous, and, and, so the, and so the less we are being formed into the image of Christ. Which is why, by the way, five days should be a realistic goal for us to prune and fast and get rid of some of the stuff that we are paying attention to. I, I think that there's a lot to be said for a physical fast, and, and if there's any prompting to do that, I would encourage you to obey that. But at the moment, I feel like the most significant starting point, not for most people, for basically everybody, would be what we call a soul fast. Where, where whatever it is that, you, that is your natural default source of distraction, just cut that out for five days. Remove those apps from your phone. Switch the TV off. Or unplug the internet. Like, like do whatever you have to do. You might just be surprised at how much more margin you have. And by the way, margin is the series we're starting next week. And that's why we're also talking about this now because, because you see, when we talk about margin, again, if you don't get the heart behind it, we might think that, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, sh- I need to fight more for myself and my time and my... Well, we are wanting you to create more margin. We are wanting you to create more space. But, th- but that's actually a godly, that's a godly idea because he's given us certain limits and margin is the gap between our load and our limits. But that's so that we will have the margin to recover, to refresh, to be interrupted so that we can actually live out the purposes of God. Yeah. If, if there's no margin, if there's, you, how, how can you be generous when there's no margin in your finances? How can you be generous emotionally, relationally, when there's absolutely no margin in your schedule, where you're trying to juggle too many balls and you're always... Irritability is a natural byproduct of trying to do more than what you can do. It's when we're tired and stretched and we stretched thin that we land up reacting irritability, uh, irritably. So, so that's where margin comes in so that we can actually be formed into who God is trying to turn us into so that we can bear the fruit that he wants us to bear. We believe that this is kind of fleshed out in part of our vision statement, which some of you would have seen in the cafe. We show it fairly regularly, I think. But it says that we are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. All right? The slide will come up in a moment. And so that's, that's kind of the ultimate win. We want to actually reach people. But what that means is that if I'm going to reach someone with the life-giving message of Jesus, it means that I've been impacted by the life-giving message of Jesus. So this isn't just knowledge that we try and share. This is actually, a res- this is almost a natural byproduct. Like you can't help it. When we are growing in our relationship with God, you can't help but care about the things that God cares about. Right? Come on, if you're a parent, you know this. If you love your kids and, and, and as they are, when they, as a trans- in a transform from, from a baby, Transition from a baby into a toddler and they start liking certain things. You don't like the part where they don't like certain things, but where they start liking certain things. And if you want to, it's nice when you know that you can give them something good that's going to please them. Or if you're in a relationship or you're married and you know that there's, that there's something that your spouse loves. Like, like you actually delight in being able to give them what they like. And, and the closer you draw, the closer you get to know what they like. And I'm saying the closer we get to God, the more we realize how much God loves the people around us. We realize how much God loves us and we realize how much he loves the people around us. And so I'm saying that unless we are being affected, unless we're being transformed by the life-giving message of Jesus, we're going to, we're going to share 
very empty, superficial, powerless information. And we live in an information overload era. So that's why people don't care about information. But if our lives are being transformed to where, to where we are being impacted by the life-giving message of Jesus and we're growing in that personal relationship with him, well, then we are going to help people to know God, to find freedom, to discover God's purpose, and to make a difference. That, that is going to be the fruit Right, you, 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 I mean, we can call these different things. We've chosen to call it these four things, right? The the fruit of so the goals, the goals for us of of enjoying that life giving relationship with God. The fruit of that formation is going to be that we're growing in our personal relationship with God, and we're trying to help extend that invitation to others. We are finding freedom, which means that we are finding healing from our yesterdays and hope for our tomorrows. It's, it's like clearing the windscreen because, in fact, freedom is, is, is almost entirely about identity. It's that whole idea of God taking the, Israel, the Israelites out of Egypt and then having to get Egypt out of the Israelites, having to get that slave mentality out of them. That's freedom. You see, too often people stop at the first step. Well, okay, I think I like Jesus. Okay. I need, I'm sure I need forgiveness. Amen. And we don't realize that actually there's, there's a whole life, there's a whole... There's a wholeness, there's a health, there's a, there's a forgiveness, there's a healing that God wants to take place where we grow in our identity in Him. And as we do that, as, as the windscreen, as the muck, as some of that dirt that has so affected so many of us gets, gets cleared up, and thank God He knows the timing, because if it was up to us, we would try and force people to hurry up. But sometimes God's like, Jason, shut up, I've got this. My timing. God knows the timing. He knows what he can deal with. Sometimes we want God to deal with stuff in people right now. God's like, if I deal with that right now, it's going to break them. So just relax. Stop trying to play me. I've got me. You play you. God wants to bring freedom. It's a process. I don't know if we ever graduate, by the way. In fact, in the next image, you'll see that that, that it's almost like a continual cycle as we are trying to grow in knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, making a difference. Knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, making a difference. I'm going to keep saying that until they put the slide up. Discover, knowing God, just finding freedom, discovering purpose, making a difference. Right? You've got arrows. Like, like it's, this, it's this constant journey because I'd love to tell you that I just graduate from no God. I don't. I have to keep living. De- In fact, I actually, find, I actually find that I have to spend more time with God than ever before. I need to, I need to and I don't just mean longer. I mean at greater intervals. Like, I'm just finding, and so is my family finding out, that me just spending a bit of time with God once a day isn't enough. I'll go back to my old self by lunchtime. Actually, a lot sooner than that, but, but that's a different story. So, so it's a process, it's a journey. I don't know that you ever, I, I think that I am more secure and have a greater sense of clarity of my identity in God and I'm more secure with Him and I'm, and I'm needing to impress people less and I, and I have a far greater sense of who God's made me to be than ever before, but I have to keep allowing Him regularly to remind me, Jason, stop getting distracted with that. Jason, stop comparing to that. Hey, we've got this. It's, a, it's an ongoing journey. Discovering purpose, I think that, I think that God keeps revealing layers to us as we go along. So, so one of the ways we try and address this practically is through growth track where that's just 
an exercise to help people do a few assessments to get a sense of how God has gifted us, our personality. But that's, that's just like the starting point. I think we have to regularly, not obsessively, but regularly ask God, because our seasons change, we grow, we mature. Okay, God, what is your purpose for this season? What are you inviting me towards? And I believe that if, we are, that if we're in the process, in the journey, if we're being formed, right, in knowing God, finding from discovering purpose, you can't help it, you're going to make a difference. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to be attractive. You're going to, you're going to care about the things that God cares about. You might care about a child that you hear about in foster care. You might, you might care about that person at work that you know is going through a tough time. You might, you might actually be prompted to help someone on a project where in the past you'd think, hey, that was their own mistake. They, they, you know, they dropped the ball. Why, why should I sacrifice and get involved? But you see, when we go back to knowing God and finding freedom and we're healthy and secure and, we're not, and we don't need to be needed and we're not trying to please anybody and we're not trying to feed our ego, so when we are secure and healthy and at peace with God and God says, hey, why don't you do something that you would never normally do? And, and he prompts you to... He, he, like. And over time, you become more and more confident in the sense that God is giving you. You'll be surprised at how you make a difference. Now, there are ways we make a difference as a church. We have hundreds of volunteers, and there are loads of areas where, where we want way more people to get involved. And I want that. I, I really do believe it's two-pronged. I think that people need to be committed in their local community through the church. But it doesn't stop there. I think in our personal lives, we have to constantly be looking for, for God's Promptings. We need to be interruptible that we can live lives that make a difference. So this is kind of like, like the goals of formation, but the keys to formation. So how we actually achieve those goals are for knowing God, we actually need to commit to rhythms. Now, rhythms is another way of saying habits. So again, it's still just the same, the same blocks. I'm saying if you want to grow in knowing God, again, hope is not so much a strategy. We need to actually form habits. So again, come this week, you may find that by the end of the week, you've actually, you've actually gotten a taste for, I want to spend more time with God. So, so that, and so we actually talk about habits and we experiment with habits and we tweak the habits. But we know that we're not going to grow in our relation with God just because we pray a prayer. We need to actually commit to rhythms where we are finding ways to connect with God on a daily basis. James Clear says, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Maybe, maybe I could say this slightly differently and say that, that our relationship with God is not so much a reflection of our goal, it's actually a reflection of our habits. Yeah. Is that possible? Now there is the God is gracious part to this, and there is the God meets us at various moments by his sheer kindness. And, and I've experienced that plenty of times. But I'm telling you that the, that the consistency, the depth of growth comes through rhythms, through slowing down to be with him. F.M. Alexander says people do not decide their futures, they decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. In other words, again, it's not, it's not just, God, I want to have a great relationship with you. And then I watch 55 hours of series every week. And I, and I, and I have a devotional once a week for, for three minutes before I come to church. Because, you know, I want to worship God. Like, 
it's well I, I'm not really deciding my relationship with God. My habits are. And so and so I need to does this make sense, right? I don't want this to sound legalistic. This isn't about ticking boxes. I'm saying so that's where even when we talk about a rule of life, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks, it's a rule, not a law. See, a law is when it's legalistic, where God must be so mad at me that I didn't have my quiet time this morning. No, no, that's law, and that's not God. A rule is, like, I want to be as consistent as possible. I missed it this morning. I'm going to make sure I don't miss it tomorrow. That's a rule. It's like I want to, it's like exercise. You, you know that you need to exercise a certain number of times a week, right? Okay. It's a very muffled agreement. Um, when you miss it, you miss it. You, you, you want to, you know, you, you just, you don't want to create a habit out of missing it. Anyway, that's the difference. In terms of relationships, Tammy did a great job preaching on this a few months ago where, where, we, where we don't want to just commit to the rhythms as far as uh, knowing God and, and growing in our relationship with God. By me pointing, yeah, that's like, that's, I'm saying I want that other slide to come back up again with the formation. There we go. See that? It's like it just clicked. Um, for us to find freedom, we need to actually commit to relationships. And I think that too often, too often we rely on knowledge and information. We think, if I just read another book, I want to be so careful how I say this. So please assume that your first understanding of my comment is the wrong one, okay? And then, and then think about it a little bit longer. We might even think, okay, the solution is reading the Bible. Now, it is, but it's not all. So, so it's not incorrect, it's incomplete. God has created us for community. I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian without it. I'm just saying that you can't be a healthy whole Christian without it. I'm not saying that you won't go to heaven without it. You will. In fact, you might get there quicker because research shows that you'll die younger if you don't have healthy relationships. Facts. These, this is research. Research, I've said this before, says that you'll actually live longer and healthier eating the wrong food with the right people than eating the right food alone over a lifetime. They're saying that you, you'll live longer. There's something about community. And again, bear in mind that we live in an age where, where we are more connected in inverted commas than ever before. You might have thousands of friends on Facebook and yet feel like you don't have a single friend. Or you might have hundreds or thousands of followers on Instagram and yet feel like there isn't a single meaningful relationship. Anxiety levels, to my knowledge, have never been so high before in a young generation as what we have now. So connected so disconnected, so lonely. Depression levels that are higher, I think, than what has ever been before. There is something to community. I don't want to get over spooky, but if I was the enemy, aka the devil, I would, I would keep you so distracted with a sense of connectedness that I, have, that I actually keep you from actually being connected. Anyway, that's maybe a whole nother series. Forget sermon, that's all. Anyway, so, so, we, so we're, we're encouraging you. What is our vision for the year? We want to know God. We want to find freedom. How do we do it? We want to commit to rhythms. 
We want to take a step with relationships. And so I'm, I'm asking you to take a step, whatever that is. Life groups are not a magic pill. But it is a practical way for many people to at least experiment with getting to know others. For other people, like maybe there's just no way on God's green earth that you're going to go and sit in a house somewhere with a bunch of strangers that you don't know and see how that works out. Then just maybe find out about joining a, a low commitment, easy entry point team where at least you just have someone that knows your name or you know theirs. And maybe that's just that first little bite-sized step that you can take. Or join an intro. So, so with, with life groups, as Ivan and Sue mentioned, there's so many different options. There are interest groups. And if there isn't the one that you're interested in, then form an interest group and let's throw some people your way. Like it's just easy. Well, ish. Okay. It's not easy. If that freaks you out, then it's not easy. I get it. But I'm saying it's worth it. Relationships matter. And then when we're talking about discovering God's purpose, we're talking about uh, reflection. And again, you'll see that this is all an ongoing process. But where you actually take a look from season to season, where you're saying, God, is is there anything that shifted? I used to be a parent of four kids at home. Now they're all gone and I've got more margin in my life. I I think your purpose for my life might have changed. Or I'm a single young adult and... I've got a little bit of margin in my money, which I know makes everyone else hate me. And I've got a bit of margin in my time, which makes them hate me even more. And I'm in good shape, which makes them really, really hate me. God, like, like what do you want me to do? Or you could be a single parent of, of two young kids and, and you're just trying to get through every week. Maybe God has a purpose in that season. Maybe God, maybe, just maybe, God is wanting you to connect with another single parent with kids or, or connect with another family or maybe you go to a plague. I don't know. Just, God, what is your purpose? Let's reflect on that regularly. Let's not just, let's not be passive. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Can we be intentional? Can we be proactive? God wants to form us, but he's not going to lift you up off the seat and make you and mold you into something. We, we, are part, we are participants in this process. We've got to be willing to submit to the process. Just, just some off-the-cuff, well, not off-the-cuff, anyway, just as in my notes. Some, some side notes, suggestions, by the way, which I didn't get to in the first service. Is that, I mean, not, like even if you just, again, if, if you haven't done growth track, that's your first step. Simple. Okay? God forgive you if you haven't done growth track and you've been coming to the church for a while. So sign up for Growth Track on your connect card. But, but if you've done that and you're wanting to understand yourself a little bit more in God, how have you wired me? Because, because God's design in us will often determine God's destiny for us, right? So I love, I mean, there's so many free things online where you can do disc personality assessments. You can do the Enneagram, which is fascinating. And then, and then there's great books that you can read around that. There, there are strengths finders. There are so many free assessments online that just start giving you some perspective, so that you're not comparing to others. You're saying, God, who have you made me to be? I want to be obedient to you. So don't, so don't let it limit you in a bad way, but let it limit you in a good way. And lastly, and G-Main, you can come and do your thing, as Dino said, his fingers are dripping with anointing oil. Responsibility. I can't, I can't emphasize 
how big a deal responsibility is in our formation. Again, you can get to heaven without it, but you won't be whole. You can be a Christian, but you won't be whole. God will still love you, but you won't be whole. See, what's interesting is that this has got nothing to do with God's love for us. God, Listen, God loves you full stop. Before you perform, before you produce, He cannot love you more, and He cannot love you less. Full stop. So all that's left is my response. And, and part of God's plan for us to... So, so God's already done everything that He can to make us whole. Now it's our response to become whole. And so that's how we respond to Him. And responsibility is part of our response to God. Again, a lot of that is in your personal, private capacity. I believe that for many of us, I think God's design to impact the world is actually through local churches where people bring their gifts and they bring their personalities and they bring their resources and they, and they are actually surrendered to His purposes for their, for their time in history. So you are still loved. You'll still get to heaven. You can still be a Christian. But I'm, but I'm confident that you can never be fulfilled. You can never be complete without saying, God, what do you want me to do? And actually being obedient to that. I don't have an agenda for you. You'll see that there aren't ministry forms on the chairs. We're not trying to get you to sign up for stuff. I've got no skin in the game. I'm telling you that, that after having, tri- like I've tried to follow God for roughly 25 years and I'm telling you that what has changed my life, what has helped me grow with God has been revelation. So it's been God moments and experiences, which by the way, for some people that's going to be this week during five days of focus. It's been rhythm. So it's been habits. If I just had the revelation and I didn't put anything into place to actually grow with God, I don't think I'd be serving God. Relationships have helped change my life. If I just had the experiences with God and I never allowed certain key, if I never allowed myself to draw close to certain key people over the, next, over the last 25 years, I honestly don't think I'd be standing here. And I can honestly tell you that if I had that and that and that, so revelation, rhythms, relationships, but I wasn't willing to take the first step towards responsibility. Not only would I not be standing here, I honestly don't know if I'd still be serving God. It's kind of like just eating, 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 eating and never getting off the couch, never moving. And for some of us, we think we just need more food. God's like, no, you don't. You need more exercise. You need to actually do something. I'd love for you this week, by the way, each day of this week, the, the theme for each night is going to be know God, find freedom. Discover purpose. Make, so I'm hoping that for some people this week, there's going to be revelation of the next step. And by the way, in case this encourages you, I have never felt ready for any responsibility. Ever. Never. Ever. Why do you think I have to hang on to verses like, you haven't given me a spirit of fear? Or timidity. But of love and joy. Sound mine. And we have to say it again and again and again. Why do you think I, why do you think I would have to go and quote Jeremiah 1 verse 5 to myself? Don't, guys, I, my, my whole life, I have never, ever felt ready. I, I was 18 when I first had a little life group. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I, I had no idea. 
what to do. When I first started working for the church, I had no idea what I was doing. Don't tell anyone. But I had no idea. And there's been responsibility after responsibility after responsibility. When we first fostered our first audit, we had no idea what we were in for. When we tried to adopt older, we had no idea what we were in for. When we, when we, when we tried to buy this building, we were like, God, I, you can provide. It doesn't look like you are just yet, but you can. Graham and I, I still remember us saying, look, like, we'll quit. If this doesn't work out, we're both resigning. Like, 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 but do we think it's God? Because you're committing people. Like, like, like we're committing, we're taking responsibility for a, for a hefty debt a few years ago. I'm like, guys, you're looking at me. I think this is the, like, I can tell you, I'm confident. Like mm, 73%, you know. Come on, won't you stand up, please? I, I hope you're catching something. This is, this is more about what he's caught than what he's taught today. God has a purpose. God wants to form us into the image of Christ. It is not boring. It is, it is exciting. It's exhilarating. Yes, it may be challenging. But I'm telling you that when you are not doing it out of guilt, so, so that's why I want to be so clear. There's, there's no guilt here. I've got no agenda for you. No guilt. When you're not doing it out of guilt, when you're saying, God, my answer is yes, what's the question? What's the instruction? When your heart is, God, you love me already. I don't, I don't have to impress you. I don't have to earn any, because that's the gospel, by the way. You love me. When we are secure and saying, God, what do you want from me? I'm telling you, it's exhilarating. It may scare the poo out of you, but it is still like you know that you're on an adventure. You, you, don't, you hope it's going to work out. You don't know for sure, but you hope so. But God, my answer is yes. And that's why I think courage is so important. And again, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like it could be people here in this particular service where God is, God is inviting you to exercise courage. And courage is simply, it's not an absence of fear, it's the presence of fear. But it's when the fear of not acting becomes greater than the fear of acting. So what's the worst that can happen if I act? I fail. These are the implications. These are the consequences and it might be embarrassing. Okay. So, so that's what could happen if I fail. But then you start playing the movie of what could happen if you don't act. If you're the only person, what if God doesn't have a plan B? What if you're it? And you start, and you start playing that out, guys. That's that's when you that's when, that's when you there, there isn't an absence of fear. It's just that you you fear not acting more than you fear acting, and that's when you say, God, I'm going to exercise faith in the presence of fear. I'm going to do it anyway. 